first service, uh, normally uh, I read English with Spanish accent, okay? Look here, you rich people. We've been grown with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your field have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have eaten your, your, yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. You can see it. Thank you, Pastor Hector. That uh, let me tell you guys, that's just evidence that yeah, you can give it up for my father-in-law. Pastor Hector is just evidence that I uh, I'm married up. <laughs> uh, the Lord is good; He has blessed me. Um, you know, when Karen met me and uh, we got married, she was like, "I'm never gonna marry a pastor." Well, I wasn't, but God had other plans. <laughs> and so I'm super, super excited to be here, to be speaking with you guys. If, uh, if you're new around here or you haven't been with us before and we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Joe. Uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff, and uh, I would just like to say thank you uh, again for, for being here. If you're watching online, uh, thank you for being here as well. And like uh, Pastor Jason said, this fall, we've been going through the book of James. We've been going through this, this letter uh, to the earliest Christians. And James is telling us that our faith, it, it has a function. It, 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 it's meant to mean something to us, not just in, in our person, but in our actions. Uh, James would say that there's two types of faith. There is a living faith, and then there is also a faith that would be a dead faith. There's ones that produce fruit, and there's ones... That do not. And so, uh, according to this, James would say that if you have a living and active faith, your life would bear fruit. Your life would bear fruit. And so, we've been asking ourselves week to week this question is, is that, do I possess what I confess? Do I possess what I confess? Does my faith, does my life look like what I believe Today, James's letter is going to continue what it has been doing this whole season, and that is challenge us. It's going to challenge us to examine ourselves, self-examination in the area of money, in the area of wealth. I've been looking at it this way, is that does the management of my possessions match my spiritual confession? Does, does the management of what I have match up of what I say? So today, we got a, an awesome topic. Uh, you know, Pastor and I, we had a phone call the other day. It was great. And he's like, Joe, you got one of the top three messages. It's one of the top three messages that people love to hear when they come to church. I was like, for real? 
He's like, yeah, listen, there's three things that people love to hear about. They love to hear about the apocalypse, they love to hear about sex, and they love to hear about money. So everybody's going to be here. They're going to want to listen. They're going to want to listen to what you say. So it's going to have, you have a great time. It's going to be awesome. And so uh, I'm not talking about sex and I'm not talking about the apocalypse, but I am going to talk about money. The apocalypse is this mysterious thing. Is Jesus coming back? When is he coming back? Will he come back? What's it going to look like when he comes back? I don't know. I believe that he's going to come back. If someone says, hey, Jesus is coming soon, I mean, sooner than yesterday. But if they say, hey, I know, they don't know. They don't, know, they don't know. Jesus promises that this world will be made new, and, and it's going to happen, and we're going to believe that. And if it's in my lifetime, so be it. And if not, then I'll trust and believe God's my soul, and, and then I'll be resurrected one day with him, and it's going to be awesome. Sex, on the other part, that resurrects around puberty, and then dominates some part of our mind pretty much our whole life until right before we die. Uh, and, and some people, it dominates a large portion of their thoughts, and other times it's a little bit. But it's something that we think about. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> Y'all wait for another series with Pastor and uh, Pastor Andrea. But we are going to talk about we're going to talk about money. People want to know how do I spend my money? How do I save my money? Uh, do we are we going to talk about tithing today, Pastor Joe? Uh, do we give to the poor? What are we going to talk about when it comes to money? Well, we're going to talk about the love of money. We're going to talk about the dangers of the love of money. Uh, in 1 Timothy 6, uh, 9 and 10, Paul, he's teaching his uh, young apprentice, Timothy, how to be, how to be a pastor. And he gives, uh, he gives a, um, a warning about money. And I want to read it to you. It says, As people who long to be rich fall into temptation. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, they have wandered away from a true faith. They've pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now today in the room, there are many types of people. There are many types of people, you guys watching online as well. And we all have different relationships with money. Some people are wealthy. Some people make a lot of money. Some people have a small income. Some people have a big income. Some people have a lot of debt. Some people don't have a lot of debt. We all have our different types of relationships with money. Paul says, and James is later going to tell us, it's not about the amount of money that we have, but it's about the relationships that we have with money. Is it something that you have and you use, or have you become enslaved by it? Is the pursuit of is are you entrapped by the pursuit of money? Are you trapped by the envy of others that do have money? See, there's no set amount of money in the Bible that is sinful. Wouldn't that be so easy? Wouldn't it be so easy if we just all knew as believers we had we could pull up and go to some Old Testament prophet that God gave them a thing and said eighty two thousand six hundred and seven dollars. If they got eighty two six oh four, they're out. God never said that. There's not a set, determined amount of money that becomes, becomes sinful. But like many things about our Christian faith, it comes down to this. It comes down to your heart. Our faith is a relationship. And when it comes to money, it's about your relationship with money. Do you love it? Is your faith in it? Do you trust it more than Christ? And so we have to say this, is that money is okay. God blesses people with skills, talents, abilities to make great wealth. 
And that's not the problem. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. If you have a lot of money today, God bless you. God bless you. That's a great thing to have the blessing of God on your life. There's nothing wrong with that. See, James, he starts this section of this letter with something, and it's kind of accusatory. Hey, you rich people. Hey, you rich people. This text is strongly worded from here on out, and it doesn't involve no three-step process of how to manage your money. That'd be too easy. That'd be too easy. No, James, uh, he's full of warnings about how the love of money, like hoarding, like seeking luxury, and, and the injustice of, uh, of the love of money affects us. A recent poll that I read talking about money asked people, hey, what's it take to be rich? How much money? How much money a year does it take to be rich? $300,000 a year. Wow, okay, I would think so. If I'm making three hundred grand a year, I'd probably feel pretty rich too. I mean, but does it really take that much? Really? If you look at the census data, the latest census data, the median income, you take somebody that makes a dollar, you take, you take you know, Jeff Bezos, and you kind of go right to the middle, 60 grand. It's about what people make in America. Isn't money funny? I need five times as much as that to feel rich. Why? If somebody says, hey, hey, Joe, you want to double your salary? I'm like, well, all right. I can breathe a little bit. You know what I mean? Like you would think that just a little more would be enough. No. People need, I need more. I need more. You know, I need a lot more to feel rich. And that's so, that's so crazy. You know, also in this study, it said, hey, let's ask several generations what it means to be rich. And so they asked boomers. They asked millennials. I'm sorry, they, I'm a millennial. They asked, <laughs> look at this, all this millennial gray right here. <laughs> they asked Gen Xers, and they asked, they asked millennials, what, what's the dollar amount? What's the dollar amount that you need to be considered wealthy? If you ever got this amount of money, you'd be a rich person. So boomers and Gen Xers like me, just super conservative, always need a big cushion, said $2.4 million. If you are $2.4 million, you're a rich person. Now, millennials, free spirits. Listen, I want to live in a van down by the river. If I can just afford Chick-fil-A like once a week, I am. That's all I need. That's all I need. You know what millennials said? 2.2 million. 2.2 million. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought all you needed was like a hot spot and a laptop. No. Isn't it funny? Their difference generation to generation to generation, we can all agree that millions is not enough. We need multiple millions. Multiple millions. Like, that's so, so, so funny. But see, today is just another example of James and how he's, he's asking us in this practical book what it means to be a Christian. See, often we don't think that our faith should affect our finances and how we manage our wealth. But it should. It should. See, we're, we're, we're forced to ask ourselves today a couple questions. Do you consider yourself rich? If James says today, hey, you rich people, do you listen? Do you answer and say, yeah, that's me? And the second thing is, is James is challenging us to, to, to do introspection and look at our lives and say, is my life being fruitful? Is my life being fruitful? Are the, are the habits I have shaping me into more Christ-likeness? Now, I grew up with boomer parents, so I thought rich was a two-car garage, a vacation every couple of years, and my parents may be paying for my college. Like, that was, that was what I thought was rich. You know, you think now it's like a, a two straws, one, one check, baby, I got you. Like, that, that's, what, that's what I thought it would be to be rich. Like, we bougie, we're going to Applebee's. Like, God is blessing me right now. I mean, maybe. 
It, that's what I think rich is. I don't know what you think rich is, but what, what, do you think, what do you think rich is? But think about who James is talking to here, right? The earliest of Christians. The earliest people that followed Jesus. Who were they? Landowners. They were people that owned businesses. They were people that paid wages. They had stature. They had, they had success. They had influence. But you know what it also included? Fishermen, carpenters, laborers, prostitutes, widows. Even Jesus described people that followed him as the least of these. This message is written to Christians. So somewhere in that mix, we all kind of fall. I don't think, and maybe, maybe they, some of them did, that the earliest Christians fall into the term rich for 2021. But I do know this, that James is very clear about the potential that comes with the love of money. As people have put their faith in Jesus, should that affect the way that you use your money? You know, reading passages from James, like James 1, 2, and 3, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that your faith is tested. You'll have an in, a chance for endurance to grow. Wow, thank you, Jesus. This hard season, it ain't because of something I've done. But God, you know what? You're going to grow my faith. This is such a great opportunity. What an encouraging message. Well, let's listen to James 5. Anybody ever do you heard what my, uh, Pastor Hector said, what my father-in-law said? Look here, you rich people, you uh, weep and groan with anguish because there is trouble ahead of you. James 3 says it, 5, 3 says this, the very wealth you are counting on will eat your flesh. James 5, 4 said the corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify you against the day of judgment. You know what's not at Hobby Lobby and Isle 2? Coffee mugs with James 5 on it. Like, it, like it's, not, it's not your thing. You're not like, you know what, I need to get them this, your filthy rags, look, here we go. Like, you're not getting a sweatshirt at Women's Worship Night that says corroded treasures. Like, you're, you're, it doesn't leave us this, this warm and fuzzy feeling. It's not, but it's points and passages like this that need to be said so that we, we point out in us, have I stopped growing in Christlikeness? It's time for an introspection. It, it's time for James again to say this, the gold and silver are corroded and the very wealth that you are counting on will eat your flesh like fire. James is saying, danger, danger. You said you put your faith in Jesus. But look at all this wealth and all these things you're gathering. What are you hanging your hope on? Is it money? Is it more stuff? The very things that you're doing right now, they're not going to last. And actually, they're going to be burnt up and testify against you. See, James, he's using these very strong words to Christians as an intervention to make sure that we do not lead a life that is fruitless. Hoarding wealth, living in luxury, being unfair and doing unjust things to people to gather wealth. He's saying, hey, listen, don't do that. Because one day you'll have to stand before God for that. James is saying for those that have their faith in Jesus, but worldly comforts say otherwise. See, these words that James is using, he's trying to make us feel something that we don't like to. And maybe for super wealthy people that, you know, don't think about their relationship with Jesus, something they probably haven't felt in a long time, and that's discomfort. He's trying to make you feel uncomfortable. If, if these words you're hearing today, like judgment, burning flesh, corrosion, make you feel a way, ooh, good. That's what James is trying to do. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to remind us that, as Christians, our goal is not more possessions. Our goal is season after season 
to become more like Jesus, not more stuff. As Christians, the radical life-changing power of the gospel should impact us so deeply that everything about our life is different. Who we are, what we say, how we treat others, how we, how we treat money. We, we summarize the gospel like this. There's a holy God that demands just perfection. But he also has love and mercy for every sinner. And those two things came together on the cross for Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. God, God loved every sinner but demanded total justice. And we see that through Jesus. That's God's holiness and his grace working together at the same, at the same time. Pastor has taught us this, and we say, we say it like this, that you're more simple than you believe, but you're more loved than you'll ever know. And so our lives should, should have a great reflection of this great love in every word, in every deed, in every action. It should bear fruit in our lives. It should, it should be a witness that we have been completely changed. Now, as Christians, we know this, that nothing separates us from the love of God. No sin, no debt, nothing can pull us away when we're following Christ. I know for me there's been different periods of my life. There's been different seasons in my life that have not been fruitful. There have been seasons when I've been pulled away, when my life is lacking a witness, when it's been lacking producing fruit. And let me be honest, it's been super discomforting. I really lost my peace. Like this feeling that James is trying to make, make us feel today, I, I felt it. You know, and I praise God for that. I, I'm thankful that God has allowed me to go through seasons of uncertainty. I'm thankful that God's allowed me to be discomforted. I've allowed me that God to, to not question him, not question Jesus' goodness, but question my faith in those things. Do I really believe what I say I believe? Have I really been changed? Is the, is the good news of Jesus really transforming me into Christ's likeness. That's a good thing. Seasons of discomfort, they're great. They allow you to examine your beliefs. They allow you to say, what is my faith really founded on? Where is my hope? James would say that a life that is consistently fruitless, a life that falls regularly short of generosity, of wisdom, the goodness of Jesus. If you're consistently doing this, you don't deserve to have comfort. The, the, the comfort you desperately seek and desire is on something else than Christ. So seek that out and work through that. You know, to, to, to paraphrase James 3 and 17, as Christians, we're supposed to do these things. We're not supposed to lose sight that our lives are to be founded in God's wisdom. That our lives should be honorable, peace-loving, gentle. That we should be willing to yield to others, to be full of mercy. That our lives should be fruitful with deeds because we are to reap a harvest of righteousness. The byproduct of a fruitful life is the abundance of discomfort. So when you find yourself in a season of spiritual uncertainty, you need to ask yourself this. Have I put my faith in something else? Where am I seeking my comfort outside of Christ? But Christian, listen. You're more sinful than you believe. 
mature more love than you can ever know. The seasons of discomfort allow the Holy Spirit to draw us closer to God. They encourage us. They encourage us to do a couple things, and that is to, to become a person of high acceptance of God's grace. God, you're so good. God, nothing I can do can separate me from you. But they also call you to, a, to be a person of high obedience. God, not my will, not my ways, your ways. God, use these seasons to draw me in, to become more like Christ. Don't let me be someone that professes Jesus. Let me become a disciple of Jesus. We can say this, that people with a living faith are different. And people with a living faith are continuing to be transformed. Now, James, I like the transition. Now, like it's not going to get any easier. <laughs> James, he, he, he just talked about making sure we don't have a fruitless life. But now he wants to talk about the dangers of materialism. James is going to talk about the dangers of the love of money. Materialism comes with an opportunity for a lot of misuses. You know, Paul said that it's an opportunity for you to pierce yourself. It's an opportunity to lose faith in the, true, in the truth. And so, but we're going to talk about the sins of misuse of money and hoarding, luxury, and injustice. All in the name of, of just getting more, of, of accumulating wealth. And so, the good thing is, is that when we recognize these things in our lives, maybe that the love of money has come into an unhealthy place in our life, that it's an opportunity to be healed. It's an opportunity for God to search us. It's an opportunity for God to redeem it. And so we know that the root of money is, is it, we know the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but let's begin with the three that we're going to look at. And the first one is the, is the misuse of money. The misuse of money that causes us to hoard. In James 5, 2 and 3, it says this, Your wealth rots away your fine clothes are eaten uh, moth and rags. The gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth that you were counting on will eat your flesh like fire. It corrodes. The corroded treasures you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. James is talking about just amassing wealth. He's just talking about, you know what? I just want it more. I want the fancy. I want it all. I'm going to fill it up. I'm going to fill it up more and more and more. And on all the while, all it's doing is just going to waste. It's just, going, it's just going to ruin. You get all this good and do no good with it, and that just turns to ruin. See, James doesn't say that you can't save. He's saying you can't hoard. Do you know that in this text, like the word hoard, and probably everywhere, hoarding's bad. Hoarding is a negative word, but I don't have to tell you that. Who wants to be on an episode of Hoarders? Anybody? Hey, when you see, like, you see the episode of Hoarders, you're like, oh, How? What happened? How did people end up like this? But if they called and said, hey, would you like to be on Wise Investor? Would you like to be on 10 Ways to Save Money? And I would love to learn how to do that. I don't want to be on hoarders. Now, in Proverbs 13, 22, it, it says this. It says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. James isn't teaching us that it's wrong to save or keep money back for a later date. He's saying that it is wrong to hoard your wealth. Have you ever met somebody that just longs for more? Have you ever met somebody that's just incessant with money? Like they just can't get enough. They just want more and more and more and more. It, 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 you know, I, I meet business people and in my past life working, you would just meet these people and they just couldn't get enough. You know, and they probably didn't start out like that. They probably started out with good intentions. You know what? I want to I start a business and 
and just do good for my community. I want to start a business and be my own boss and maybe make a way for my family. And it'd be great to be able to leave this as a, as a legacy to my, to my grandkids. But then something happens. The game changes. It goes from wanting a better life to just more. Just more and more and more and more. When you talk to like super successful people, not all, but those that have an unhealthy relationship with money, you talk to them and ask them, hey, how, how are things going? I'm tired. You know how hard it is to keep this thing going? I remember a guy I used to work for, he's like, I can't stop. I got like 30 employees. Like, I, I don't ever get a day off. He's like, all those people depend on me. He's like, it's exhausting. Like us, uh, us, me, I, I, you see all the nice, oh, look at the boats, the cars, all the things. Like, how nice is that? But you don't know the weight of having that responsibility. You know, you talk to super rich people sometimes, you're like, how you feel? Used. Talk to super, like people that have wealth, people that know that they have wealth. I have some friends that are very wealthy. You know what phone call they get all the time? Any people checking in on them? Hey, man, I need some money. I know you got it. Can I have it? And they just feel used. Like, no one ever calls them and just says, hey, you doing, bud? And they're like, hey, I got this thing. Hey, I know you got it. It's no big deal. And then they, they also feel super lonely. You know, I started out on this job, and I was going to build this career, and I didn't watch my kids grow up. You know, me and my wife, we were in this together, and we just grew apart. And I got the business. I know the, the, you know, the marriages just didn't work. They weren't in it for the long haul. And, but the love of money that's chasing it, it has so, it has so many consequences. You know, in, in our pursuit for more and the pursuit for the finer things in life, we, as Christians, we need to begin to understand that there's a difference between a necessity and hoarding. Like, what do you need? And then what is too much? Like, what's the difference between saving and then just getting more? Uh, you know, what is the difference between God made God? You just keep blessing me. You just keep blessing me. I want to use this to, to, to help people. Where do you go from saving? Where do you go from hoarding? Where do you go from doing good with money to where do you fall in love with money? What's a healthy relationship with money? And then what is when you become possessed and controlled by it? James would say that when, that when you pursue wealth for its own sake, it, it becomes ungodly. It exposes the sinfulness in every, in every human heart that simply wants, wants more. This needless desire to just acquire, acquire more. Not once that the only thing in the human body that never gets tired, tired is, is desire. Do y'all feel that? that? You, ever, you ever thought, I'm just full? I, I got enough. Like, oh, no, no, man. Another, another piece of cake. You know, you know, you know, this, you know, this top's nice, but that new that escalates. Like, like, it just needs something nicer. Or, or just needs, you know, three, three cars. That would, that would, that would be, it's the thing about. But here's, here's the ten. When it comes to keeping things. What's enough, enough, what's too much? The Bible, which we love, was written all people at all times, everywhere. So you know what that, what that means? It doesn't say $4,000 is, is enough. The, the Bible isn't clear with saying, here's the line, this is too, too much. It, it leaves it up for our own interpretation. It, it, it leaves us up for us to pick out. Just because rich and wealth isn't clearly fine for us in the Bible doesn't mean that it's to be avoided. You, James would say that you have to draw this line somewhere. You have to get to a point where enough is enough. With money, with savings, saving for the future, doing, doing good works for others in the present. 
we have to hold on and say, you know what, right here, this is enough for me, everything else, I'm going to do good with it. If not, James, what does he say? It's going to rust and corrode and testify against you. The very things that you hold on to, the excess that you hold on to, the stuff that you hoard will eventually rust and corrode your very soul. So don't hoard. Number two, the, 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 the misuse of luxury, but besides hoarding, it's very similar as that is, is that is the sin or the misuse of money that comes from luxury. And luxury is this, this concept that we need to get a, grab a hold of as Christians, as you know, James warns us that you spend years on this earth in luxury, satisfying every desire. You fatten yourself for the day of slaughter. But what is a luxury? What, what's extra? What do you need as a Christian to live a comfortable life that's pleasing to God and still be shaped by the Holy Spirit? Still turning into Christ-likeness. One car? Two cars? Three cars? I don't know. A brand new car? A car with 200,000 miles. Like, what is, what, what is a necessity and what is, like, I just got it because it was fancy and new? Like, is it 1,200 square foot? Is it 2,500 square foot? Is it 3,500 square foot? Like, how much is too much? Like, how much goes from God's blessing me to, like, man, I just want another one. I just, it just needs to be bigger. Like, is it, am I allowed to keep all the stuff in the Stitch Fix box? Or do I, do I have to send some of it back? Like, do I get, can I, can I order another thing from that butcher box? Or like, do I, is that like, can I eat steak every week? Like, what is too much? Again, it's the same tension as hoarding. The Bible is written for all people at all times, everywhere. It's not clearly defined. Luxury for us isn't defined, but it, it's an issue that needs to be, it needs to be addressed. And so, but James isn't saying that we cannot enjoy a good life. That's not true. The denial of, of good things is denying the goodness of God. See, God created every good and pleasing gift for us to enjoy in him. Like, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. James is talking about this attitude when we're pursuing things that puts us in the middle. When we become self-serving, when we become self-seeking, when we become self-centered, when, we're, when our goal is to pamper ourselves, to live in luxury and lavish pleasures, we've missed the mark. As Christians, good things are meant to be used in service for others, not self-indulgence. So how do we do that? Every purchase, all the time, every day. Doesn't that sound exciting? Sounds exhausting. Thanks, James. So every time I go through the grocery... Do I get the Walmart brand Chick-fil-A sauce, or can I get the name brand? Like, do, can I buy the organic salad, or do I have to wait till it goes on? Woo-hoo. Like, it's like, what is, what's opulence? What's, what's extra? Like, when am I being overindulgent, or when am I being lavish? It's something that we need to address every day. Well, why? Because denial of self in service for others is our model, our rabbi, our teacher, Jesus, teaches us this. Every day he put everyone in front of him. So every day when we're buying things, when we're consuming things, do I need this or is this extra? Can I, can I do the knockoff brand or can I splurge? 
Do I go to Zaxby's? Do I go to Chick-fil-A? You see what I'm saying? Like, so denial of self, that's what we're supposed to do. You know, in other words, we need to live with a life that's well within our limits. Just because you make more doesn't mean you get to spend more or do more. See, we should have self-imposed limits. So not that our love of money grows. It's so that we can live in freedom to help others. When it, when it comes to the misuses of money, we've learned so far that, that hoarding is bad and that searching after a life, a self-centered life, searching for luxury, is a common pitfall when we fall in love with money. But see, the last, the last misuse of money is, see, it's a bit different than hoarding and luxury. Because both of those are about how we spend money and how we save money. But see, the act of injustice, it's about how we acquire money, how we get our money. And for for me, I believe this is the toughest part of James 5, and and that's because it involves other people. When we do injustice acts for the the name of wealth, it involves offense to other people. I don't know if you know this or not, but God loves you. God loves you so much. That he sent his only son to die for you and for me. And so when we do sins against each other, that's an injustice not to that only that other person, but an injustice to God. And so when we look at this last, this third way that people misuse money of injustice, this is the one that I feel is the biggest. James 5 and 4 says this. Listen, the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay, the cries of that harvest who have harvested your field, reaches the ear of the, heaven, of the Lord's heaven's army. See, when you love money, you have a tendency to take advantage of people. When you love money, you're in a position of power, you, you, you can view people as just the help. Now, I used to work for a guy, and he used, to, he used to pay us every week. He'd walk around with paychecks. And it was like a task, because he just hated doing it. Like, for him, it was just a necessary evil of a bigger scheme that was his business. But for the little guys, it was our livelihood here, here. It was something like he had to do. And, and, and that's what it is. It's like when we're pursuing our income, when we're pursuing our finances, we need to be careful not to, to take it out on the little guy. And God was so concerned of the poor, so concerned of the widow, so concerned of the least of these. You know, the, the love of money will not only cause you to step on people, but it also can, it'll, it'll cause you to, to underpay people, undercut people. It'll cause you to, to just flat out not pay. Our, 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 um, our economy is built so much on service. We, we hire each other left and right to do things for each other. The next time you, you go to a, uh, a coffee shop, you know, we didn't institute the, the tip, but that's how it is. So you are interacting with that barista. Like that tip that you don't give them, you're withholding a wage. When you go and you, got a, you, bought a, you get a big yard and you're like, I wonder who will cut my grass. I'll go with the cheapest. Let's just go with the cheapest guy. Like I want to just hold out. Like I, I used to work in the car business. I, I worked in the car business for, for 11 years. And I would go and, and I had to work on uh, interiors of cars, leather, plastic, vinyl. And I would drive to all these car lots every week. And I had some favorite customers 
and I had some not-so-favorite customers. And my not-so-favorite customers, a couple things about them. They were super cheap, they weren't loyal, and they were always looking for a deal. And it, it used to drive me insane. It, 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 me, as a, at the time, I was a young dad, and I had little kids. Karen and I had gotten married, and we, we were in our first house, and man, I would see a guy that was in a position of stature, making two, three, four, five, six times more money than I was, and he just, what about five bucks? Can you do it cheaper? You just knock five, six dollars off that, man. Yeah, what, what about if you just bundle all these up and knock 20% off, and I'll give you all the work? And in my mind, as the little guy, it's like, well, those are diapers. That's formula. That's my mortgage. And it was just an indictment of where his heart was. As Christians, we shouldn't be the ones that are trying to haggle. We shouldn't be the ones that are always, always trying to get a deal. Like we should look at it, the opportunity to just like, man, I want to bless them. Man, God is faithful and loyal. We should be the most faithful and loyal people when it comes to the people that work for us and the businesses that we run. Hey, you know what? You did a great job. Can I give you some extra? Hey, I mean, you're awesome. I, I appreciate you so much. You know, I had a guy the other day. He, he tried to cut your price by 20%, but you know what? You mean more to me than that. I want, I want to honor you and, and just have you, uh, have you and pay you, pay you what, you're, what you're worth. Because James would say, when we short people, when we step on people, when we're more concerned about money than the people that the interaction has, it's crying out to them. It's saying, hey, you're not doing things fair. Now listen, if you find yourself on the end of the deal, where you feel shorted, where you feel like you're getting taken advantage of, and know that God is in control. It's not your job to go back and seek justice. It's not your job to go back and see vengeance. Evaluate the situation. Evaluate, ask generously, hey, what, what's the difference here? Like, what is, what is this extra money? Like, am I being unfair? And you will be able to see, like, where that person's heart at. And it might be an opportunity to witness of God's goodness to them. And say, hey, this is what I believe. This is where money's at. Don't feel like you have to right or wrong. Because God sees it. James tells us these unpaid wages, this unfairness, it, it, it cries out to God. And so when we're looking at how we treat people and how we pursue our money, let's do it fairly. Let's be generous. Let's be loyal. Let's be like Christ. You know, could you imagine if you're in a position with great wealth or God's blessed you, if you just gave somebody 100 bucks, you bought a $4 coffee and you just boom. That $100 is just another, another zero in your bank account. To them, who knows? Who knows? Who knows what it would feel like for them to, to be generous? So don't cheat people when you hire them. So, as we, as we make our way to the close here, we, we're trying to ask these questions, like hoarding and, and injustice and a life of luxury. Well, how do I protect myself against those things? How do I protect myself against the love of money so I don't become self-centered, so I don't become self-indulgent, so I don't live this fruitless life that James is warning me about, so I don't harm God's people? Well, James leaves some clues in the text. The, the clues that the love of money causes us to forget or to be blinded by. And that is, is that one day, that Jesus will return. And the other thing is, is that, that, that he died for you. 
In James 5, 3, it says this, The corroded treasures that you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Remember earlier I said I wasn't going to talk about the apocalypse? We slid it in right here at the end. That's the day of judgment. See, the day of judgment is when Jesus will come back. When he'll come back to the earth and those that are faithfully following Christ will be entered in into a new life. A new, a new earth, a restored bodies, this, this new Eden, this picture of Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve, that sin took away from us. The opportunity that we've never, ever, ever, as people of this day, have ever been able to experience. We've read about it. Our, our souls long for it. But one day that is going to be possible. You know what? Not, we know it's not going to make it. Anything. Your, your, worthly possess, your worldly possessions, your wealth, none of that. We're all equals in the kingdom of God. So all that's going to get wiped away, and we're going to live this whole new life. Jesus is going to go control, alt, delete, boom, for older people, boom, blowing the cartridge and hit reset. Like it's going to be a whole new, a whole new life. C.S. Lewis says this, and you know we had to throw a C.S. Lewis quote in. So C.S. Lewis says this: If you have a proper understanding of the second coming of Christ, you will have a proper attitude towards the world. Money doesn't matter. Status doesn't matter. Wealth doesn't matter. Titles, they don't matter. What really matters is how we love Jesus. And with that love and the way that we pattern our lives, you know what Christians should be? Risky. God, give me just enough. And you know what? Everything else, I'm going to be wild with it. I'm going to be flag- uh, flagrant with it. Like earlier today, this first service, this, this thing just came to me. I was like, man. I love hearing stories about people that drive old cars and then give them away and go buy another one. Can you imagine? Someone gives you a car? Huh? You gave me a car? But if you're $50,000, $60,000 into a loan, unless you're some kind of way, you could never afford to give that car away. But if you go on Marketplace and buy a $2,500 car and drive it till it almost breaks and you're like, bless you. Or even met, buy a super nice car and then give it to somebody. And then go buy you another one. Imagine how that is a witness of God's goodness. How people would feel like, whoa, how do you get to do that? Because it don't matter. I love Jesus. One day he's going to come back and this, is, this, doesn't, this car doesn't matter. Well, let me give it to you. Could you imagine if you lived that way with your finances? Living in a way that you were just adventurous. I love, you know what I love to do? I love to talk to young kids, young people. I'm 40, almost 44, I say young kids. When I talk to 20-somethings, Hey, Joe, I got this opportunity, but I may have to move. I may, I may have to, like, like, up and leave where I'm at, but because it's six, mo- it's six, you know, six, seven hundred miles away. It's in another state, but it's an opportunity. You love Jesus? Yeah. Does Jesus have your heart? Yeah. Go. Pack your bags. Get out of here. Why not? Why not? Because it doesn't matter. This life doesn't matter because at the end of it, we're all going to have a new life. Our whole life is going to change when Christ returns. If it happens in this lifetime, then praise God. But if it happens after I've passed, then I believe that I'm going to be restored. And it, it really wouldn't have mattered. Because the people of that time probably won't even know me. You know, we were uh, on vacation the other day, and Karen's cousin just couldn't believe that one of her friends was willing to pack up and move to Australia. She would met a guy, and they were going to get married. And she's like, 
can you believe this? She's got this great job. She's a civil engineer, and she's, she's just got her whole life in front of her, and she's going to up and move. Okay. She loves Jesus. Why not? Why not? Go for it. Go for it. I, I, and when we're, tied to, when we're tied to mortgages, when we're tied to a, I got this 30-year plan. I got this 40-year plan. You know, earlier with that C.S. Lewis quote, he says, uh, it's foolish for an 80-year-old man to embark on a 10-year plan. You probably ain't going to see the end of it. It's also foolish for, a, for an 8-year-old to not think about he needs to finish, you know, second grade. <laughs> but wherever you're at in your life, live like, a, live like Christ matters. So the love of money causes us to forget that, that this world is in our home. And the second thing is that we forget that Jesus died for us. In James 5, 6, the translation that we read today says that you have condemned and killed the innocent people who do not resist you. Now, I believe that the translation that they were talking about, the field workers, the people that rich people step on to get ahead of it. But if you look at another translation, it says, or you killed the righteous one. You have condemned and killed the innocent who did not resist you. You killed the righteous one. Who didn't resist their debt and death that they didn't know? Who didn't resist? Who's the only righteous one? It's talking about Jesus. And James is talking about how the love of money will let you forget Jesus and what he has done for you. James is saying that you're so concerned about the love of money, that you're so living a self-centered life, that you're so stepping on other people, that you're so worried about gathering more and more and more, that you have forgotten the one who paid a price for you that you could never repay. You know, when I was thinking about this, I was like, wow. Ultimately, what put, what put Jesus' death on the cross in motion? You know, we had a five for five a few weeks ago, and Miss um, Idrew came up here and talked about Mary in the alabaster box, Martha, how busy she was, and Mary's like, I'm just pouring out everything I have at the feet of Jesus. You know who was in the room that day when that happened? Judas. He, he, he watched it. He watched this lavish display of just an inheritance poured out on Christ. And he was like, I got to leave. And he went and he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Man, God never let me sell you out for a bigger car, a nicer house, more vacations. God never let me, never let me get so strapped with my finances chasing money that I can't be generous. God, when you, when you put a, when you, when your Holy Spirit tugs on me to, to give somebody money, but I've already said yes to the bank. And then I have to live in this tension. God, never let me forget Jesus. Jesus paid a price that we can't ever pay with any worldly possession. God demands, remember earlier, complete holiness, grace and mercy for our sin. And it's only through Jesus. These earthly things that we have can never pay the debt that we owe. So don't forget... Don't allow the love of money to forget that you're more sinful than you believe, but you're more loved than you can ever know. The biggest danger 
that the love of money has is that you'll forget the one that loves you the most. And that's Jesus. You know, Jesus was so concerned that we would forget that before he died, he came up with this, this thing. He came up with this ceremony, this ritual of, of communion. He said, when you gather together, do this in remembrance of me. When you come together in your day-to-day lives, sit around a table and remember what I've done for you. He's like, you know what? Pull the, pull the bread out and remember that my body was, was broken for you. Remember all the punishment that you deserve. I, I took that for you. Remember what I've done for you. And he said, and also remember this precious blood that paid the debt that no earthly finances could ever cover. And so in a moment, we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to remember Jesus through, through communion. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want to invite you to come. Come to the table. Come to Jesus. And remember what he's done for you. Listen, if you come every week, you don't take communion, you're missing out on a great opportunity to just thank God. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that my heart isn't lost in the things of this world. Thank you that, that the possessions and money hasn't got an unho- unhealthy place in my life. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and also here in a moment, we're going we're gonna to have an opportunity for prayer. And I want to invite you to do that. Maybe you're in a season of questioning. Life's become uncomfortable. Things have become difficult. And you're questioning not Jesus, but maybe your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're questioning if you deserve it or you've made a commitment or you, you are actually turning your life to where you are following in likeness. The people that will be up here available for prayer, they believe. They believe in the goodness of God. They believe in the power of prayer and they want to pray and agree with you over whatever situation that is. If that's a commitment to Christ, if, if that's a place to, to confess a sin of hoarding or luxury or to confess some injustice, they want to help you through that. James, we'll hear later that he says that we're to come and, and to confess one another so that we may have healing. And so we have an opportunity for that. And so I'm going to pray for us. Our practice is that we read a congregational prayer together. And so you guys are going to uh, read along with me. And then when we get to the bold section, uh, read it aloud with me as well. And so let me pray. God, there is little in this life that reveals the state of my heart more than money. When I am anxious, I easily believe shiny things will guarantee will guarantee satisfaction and security. As if my soul could truly be satisfied outside of you. Lord, you are not the stingy. You do not begrudge me for happiness. You've created the world and you have created a world filled with small pleasures and created me with a great capacity to enjoy them. Where my undoing has been my own doing. Buying things I do not need and can't afford, teaching me the difference between enjoying and indulging. Ease the ache with my soul with conveniences that something could ever satisfy my eternal longings. Let me instead be consumed with your pleasures without being consumed by them. Spare me the heartbreak of trusting trinkets that cannot hold the weight of my greatest hopes or bear the burdens of my greatest sorrows. When I have enough, teach me to live generously towards those 
who our needs are greater than my own. Read this with me. God, day to day and month to month, you are teaching me how to trust you more. Give me the contentment and confidence in your care. Amen.